Hello, and thank you for joining When the Picture Isn't Perfect podcast. Life never is perfect, but it can be beautiful in every situation. God can take our challenges and turn them into a beautiful picture. So when our picture isn't perfect, let's focus on the one who is. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Megan. Our lives are not perfect. Things go wrong. Bad things happen. But with God's help, we are making our masterpieces. Thank you so much for joining us today on the When the Pictures Are Perfect podcast. Today, I am joined with my lovely co-host, Caitlin, and we have a guest with us as well, Miss Courtney Ruiz. Thanks for joining us, Miss Courtney. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, for those who are listening who may not know you, do you mind introducing yourself? Sure, sure. Um, my name is Courtney Ruiz. I am married to Kevin Ruiz. We have been married for, I had to stop and think about it today, <laughs> about 33 years. Um, we, uh, we met years ago when I was at the University of Memphis, and he was in the Memphis School of Preaching. And so um, he graduated from there, and we've, uh, he's preached in different areas. Uh, we did work in Wyoming and different parts of Texas, and now we're in Tennessee and he preaches for the Sevierville Church of Christ here in Sevierville, Tennessee. And um, so that is where we live now. We have five children. We have four grown children. And then we were blessed to adopt our fifth child uh, this past September. It's official. <laughs> and so um, uh, we have the four grown kids. And now we have our little fellow who's he's now six years old. So I was a stay-at-home homeschool mom for many years. And um, then we finished all of that. And I started a preschool, but then we got Dean. So I stopped again. And now um, I'm starting the uh, homeschool journey all over again. <laughs> so with, we're in first grade this year. Wow. <laughs> so I've done first grade, what, myself and then four. So this is my sixth, sixth time to go through first grade. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, we're just, we feel very blessed. And so that's, that's my life as it is now. But I was diagnosed um, about 20 years ago with multiple sclerosis. And so I know that's going to be the, the, top, the topic today. So, Right. And we appreciate you so much for coming on and sharing it with us because that is a, um, a rough thing to just come and share with people. Because it, it makes you very vulnerable. Um, it is a terrible disease. Um, can you explain to people real quick what MS is before we jump into the rest of this? Yeah, sure. That's that's good to do. Because I know before I um, had MS, I'm not sure I could have, I would have known what it was necessarily. But MS, of course, it stands for multiple sclerosis. Multiple, of course, meaning more than one, and then sclerosis, meaning like plaques or hard spots. So basically, it's when your autoimmune system attacks your brain and spinal cord and creates lesions, um, like damaged areas on on any place in the brain and any place on the spinal cord. So, So the symptoms of MS can be very different because it all depends on where in the brain or the spinal cord the lesions are. So you have, you can have people with MS who um, have radically different symptoms, but they're, they're all stemming from the same root problem that there's a, there are lesions, multiple lesions somewhere in the brain or, and, or the spinal cord. Mm. It just, just that description just sounds horrible. Um, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> so tell us about, like, let's start at the beginning back before you knew the diagnosis of MS. I know that before someone gets diagnosed with something, there's usually a lot of health difficulties you start having, lots of waiting periods, lots of tests, a lot of unknown. So what was that experience like for you? Yeah, that's definitely true. I think especially with autoimmune diseases, just from other people I've talked to, that they seem to, seem to be pretty mysterious a lot of times, hard to, hard to diagnose. And so a lot of times there is a lot of waiting. And that is, that is how it played out with me. I remember like 
I don't know, I guess a couple of years or a year at least before I was um, started having MS symptoms, it sort of seemed like my body had just decided to do something autoimmune related. And and I remember I, I had like um, a rash on my arms. I, had, I ended up having like two different biopsies to try to figure out what was causing that. And they couldn't figure that out. Um, and then I had a lot of joint pain for a, for a while and I tested borderline positive for rheumatoid arthritis. And, but then all of that went away. And for a little while I was fine. And then, then for me, the first thing that happened was, um, I, I do remember feeling just extremely fatigued and, you know, I had four children at the time they were, um, like two, four, six, and eight. And so, you know, moms are tired anyway, but I can remember think try, just one time lying down to take a nap and trying to wake up when the kids woke up and thinking something is very unusual. Like I just feel beyond fatigued, you know, a, a really unusual feeling. And then, then uh, I lost feeling in my right leg. And so I could walk, but I just couldn't feel, you know, like, you know, how if you were to touch your leg, it's like, you know, you can't feel that you're touching your leg. And <clears throat> so I, uh, I went, I went to my, uh, to just a regular doctor at first, a general practitioner. And they said, oh, well, it might be, uh, uh, I think they said vitamin deficiencies, different things. And so, like you said, I had to go through multiple tests. And so when the, the general practitioner couldn't find anything to explain it, then she referred me on to a neurologist. And so I remember by the time I had finally gotten to have my appointment with a neurologist, I remember walking up the stairs to the neurologist's office and thinking, oh, my leg is, is getting better. And um, so anyway, he, he ordered an MRI, and that's when they saw that there was a thoracic lesion, a lesion like in the, you know, the midsection, sort of like uh, your lower abdom abdominal area. And he said, um, so there's one that we see. And he said, that's why you're having trouble walking. And I had some bladder control issues, to, you know, not, thankfully not for very long, but, but that too. And he said that explains it because that's right where your le this lesion is. But he said, sometimes a virus can at attack your spinal cord. And so it's possible that that's what's happened. And if so, it'll, it'll, will heal and you won't have any more problems. But he said, it could be that this is um, the start of multiple sclerosis, but we can't diagnose that until you have more than one lesion. And right now you just have the one. So he said, <clears throat> if it is multiple sclerosis, it will probably come back worse. You know, you'll have a, you'll have another episode like this. And he mm -hmm. said, we can do a spinal tap. But he said, since you're feeling better, my recommendation is just enjoy feeling better and wait and see what happens because there's no point in diagnosing you because we can't treat you for multiple sclerosis. I couldn't start any medications until they could see another lesion. So I wasn't hurting myself, in other words, to continue with no treatment. He just said, let's just see what happens. So then um, about a year later, it just all kind of hit I, where I, I, I just remember thinking I really felt like I'd hit, been hit by a truck because I just got so weak and um, I just felt really um, like I couldn't think clearly um, and it was just a very strange, strange feeling. Um, and so I, I went back to the neurologist and I remember by the time I got to the neurologist, <clears throat> you know how usually no matter how sick you feel, you try to have some kind of a little bit of dignity, you know, like <laughs> you try to sit upright in the waiting room, you know, that kind of thing. And I just remember thinking, okay, I cannot hold my head up. I'm just going to sit here with my head, you know, leaning back against the wall. And it was a struggle to even get up there to, to sign in to say, you know, I'm, I'm here. And so I knew something was really wrong. Mm -hmm. So, um, my, that's when he, he said, okay, let's do some more MRIs. Let's find out what's going on. So he, he did. And, um, he prescribed oral steroids and he said, well, let's just see if that helps. But, but anyway, at that time it, he, he felt like we would know once we saw the MRIs and then over that, I, of course, as things sometimes go, my, he had got, went on vacation uh, right after he saw me on Thursday. And so that following weekend, I just kept getting worse. And ultimately, by Saturday or Sunday, I was numb from the top of my head to the tops of my tips of my toes. And, um, you know, it wasn't 
painful, I, but I just felt, felt extremely weak. And obviously it was just a, a really scary feeling, you know? So I called, um, I called back to, to the doctor's office and let them know. And, um, there was no point in going to the emergency room, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't let me be, come in because they said my doctor was out of town. So I said, well, can I just see the neurologist who's on call because right. I'm, there's something really badly wrong with me. And they said, well, no, he's, that's not your doctor. So uh, long story, a little shorter. Um, finally I called and I'd had the MRIs done that he had ordered and I asked them to please just go ahead and send those over to the doctor's office. And so, um, it was really kind of an unusual situation because I, I didn't get an official diagnosis from the doctor at first. Um, when they saw my MRIs at the um, at the neurologist office, even though he wasn't there at the time, uh, they sent a home health care nurse out to do IV steroid treatment. Mm. And so that's kind of how I found out what was going on. <laughs> mm. So um... I know with like all the unknowns and everything and um, sometimes our first initial thought isn't like, uh, so where do I go with this? Um, how do I cope? So like in during that process, um, how did you lean on God? I think the, you know, I think the most important thing is I prayed, you know, and we all prayed and our whole church family was praying, you know, and, and that was, that was huge. Um, you know, I feel like in all the struggles I've had in in life, um, the biggest things that have the biggest challenges I've faced, the thing that's helped me the most is just really reflecting too on God and who God is and realizing that God is God is love, God is everything good. And um and that, you know, I don't have to know the I guess I'm sort of a, Kevin teases me, my husband teases me about, oh, you're just always about everything needs to be fair you know, and just, and I guess I have that kind of mindset, like I want everything to be worked out just right and I want to know and I want to plan and, and, but I've realized, you know, things happen in life that, that we as human beings don't necessarily know the why for, and we're, and we may never know the why for it, but what we do know for sure is who God is and that God is everything good and that mm -hmm. God always has our best interest at heart. You know, it doesn't mean he's going to make our lives easy. His, his best interests are for us to be spiritually what we need to be. And, and um, so that may, he may know that some it's, it's some of the hard things are good for us. And ultimately everything bad comes from the devil and from sin you know, I think about making with your father-in-law, BJ, I heard him uh, one time at one of our foundation's um, devotionals and they were getting ready to have a prayer and there were people, they had asked for a prayer request and there were so many teenagers there at foundations from all over the country. And there were multiple, just sad stories, you know, things that had happened, like a person, people had been in a car wreck or somebody had some terrible illness. And, and I just still, to this day, it's been years ago, but I remember BJ said, when I hear all these sad stories, I just hate sin even more. And that really registered so true with me that, that anything that's, that's not good in this life, we don't attribute it to God. God originally created a perfect, perfect place and he has a perfect place in store for us and made a perfect plan for us to get there <laughs> um, right. and have perfection again one day. But mm -hmm. it's not here and now, but it's, it's, it's not God. It's, it's this earthly life. Yeah, that is a really important thing to remember because when the bad things come, sometimes you think of, sometimes when you think of God, it's easy to think, oh, he has the power to stop this from happening, or he right. has the power to prevent this. Why didn't he do that? Right. Um, when really he does care about us, he does love us, and he is not the reason that it happened. Right. And I think sometimes too, when you get a little, when you have a little bit of, or maybe sometimes a lot of time that passes after the, whatever the struggle you've gone through is you can, even in your own human mind, which is obviously extremely limited, you can mm -hmm. even see some of the blessings yourself um, that come, yeah. that come from what was really hard or what is really hard and what is sometimes really bad. Mm -hmm. Very true. Time sometimes gives us a good perspective on things. Yeah. 
So when you were in that state of unknown, like you knew something was going on, you didn't have the answer yet, were there any scriptures that helped you cope with that difficult, like, we don't know what's going on yet? Um, right. Like that unknown and, period of time? Yeah. One scripture that comes to mind, at least now, thinking about all, is Second um, Corinthians four sixteen through 18. Um, I have it written here where it says, um, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that of our earthly house, this tent is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. And of course, I know that scripture applies to all, all Christians, you know, who go through difficult, difficult things. But I sort of feel like those of us whose tents have some pretty major issues <laughs> you know, can relate to that scripture even more um, because this is not what it's all about, this physical body. And, and when you do have some serious physical problems, I think it, it's very humbling and it, it does make you realize, wow, this is, this is, not, the, this is not the goal here, the end, the, end, um, the end goal. This is a temporary thing. I love that. Mm-hmm. Were there any scriptures that um, were like were shared with you during that time? I can't. I can't recall. I'm sure there were, and I because mm-hmm. I I got sweet cards and mm-hmm. phone calls and all kinds of things. One thing that I do remember, and I still think of this pr- pretty frequently, is um, one of the things that was scary for me, and even through the years, I've had to kind of, you know, sort of rethink and and, and remind myself about this is that, um, you know, it's easy to go online and start looking at statistics that say, okay, well, the average person who's had MS for uh, 10 years, at, by the end of 10 years, will not be able to walk anymore or will not be able to do this or that. Or, um, you know, a high percentage of people who begin with relapsing, remitting MS, which is the kind, the kind that I have, relapsing, remitting basically means you have a, a relapse or a period of time when you're sick you have uh, new lesions or lesions that are that are active again, and then it stops, uh, and then it comes back later. But then a high percentage of people with relapsing, remitting MS will eventually um, uh, move into what they call progressive MS, where you basically just progressively get worse, and there's no there's no relapsing, there's no remission involved. In, it's just a, a steady deterioration. So if you look at, I remember looking at those statistics early on and, you know, I was not too much older than y'all. I guess I was, what, 29 maybe Uh, or 30, maybe 30, I guess, when I was diagnosed. And that was really a a hard thing. You know, when you have a two, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, a four-year-old, a six-year-old and an eight-year-old, and then you start reading, okay, in 10 years, I may not be able to walk. Um, That was very difficult. But all of that to say, Kevin would tell me, and I always remember this, he would say, we are not statistics, we are children of God. Yeah, and that's, that's just a phrase that has just, stuck, that has really um, stuck in my head mm-hmm. um, uh, in a good way, mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, I, I really think that that's, that's, a, that's a very good thing to remember, no matter what you're facing as in terms of illnesses or problems. Mm-hmm. Kind of going along with that, since it was a loved one that shared that with you, um, what can we do uh, when a loved one is facing the unknown regarding their health to kind of support them during that time? Yeah, I think um, one of the things I would say, and I don't know if this sounds unusual, but I would say don't discredit them. Like, in mm. other words, um, especially when you're dealing with something that's difficult to be, to, to diagnose. Um, I, I just remember in the early stages for me, it was a lot of people, I would say, you know, my, my leg, I can't feel, I haven't been able to feel my leg for several weeks. And, um, and I, I can remember people just wanted to kind of dismiss it and say, Oh, well, yeah, it's probably a pinched nerve. I've had that. Uh, or, 
you, you know, I felt, I felt um, dismissed by a lot of people like, oh, you're fine. And mm. I, it's, because I think too, it's hard. Some diseases like MS, a person can look healthy on the outside, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think it's helped me what I've gone through to realize, you know, you can't tell how much a person is hurting or, uh, you know, how sick a person is mm-hmm. necessarily by looking at them. And so um, I feel like it's important to listen to people and, and take them seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, d- don't, don't make light of, of, of things when they tell you, listen, I, I think I've got, there's something wrong, you know? Um, and uh, I think that's important. And I think just like it is with, just like with any problem that you're trying to help a person with, I think it's important to, to listen to them and acknowledge that their feelings are normal and natural. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, for example, if I, if I were to say, oh, I'm really worried because look, look at these statistics. It, it could be really bad for me. And not to say, not to just immediately say, hey, listen, we're children of God. We're not, sti- we're not statistics. But to say that's understandable mm-hmm. that you're feeling that way because that's normal and natural for any person to feel that way. And, and just, just kind of validate those feelings, but mm-hmm. then move on to quick and then tell them, to tell them that, you know, we're children of God, we're not statistics, you know, and, and tell them the encouraging things, but, but just to listen and, and, and acknowledge that it's normal and natural that they have those fears or those worries. Mm-hmm. I like that. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm married to someone who has an autoimmune disease that's yes. chronic mm-hmm. and not getting better. And I know those initial, the initial days when we knew something was wrong, didn't know what it was. That was a common response, and I had to watch myself that I didn't start responding that same way, where it was like, oh, right, you're you're in a lot of pain, because people don't see that. Mm-hmm. They can't right. see that, and it was very discouraging to watch him get dismissed so frequently. Um, it's almost yes. like once you have a diagnosis – people are a lot less likely to dismiss it. And that's not fair. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Cause those things are, those early times of it are just extra hard because right. you don't have that official reason or explanation to give people about why right. you're feeling the way mm-hmm. you're feeling. Yeah, exactly. So going back to the diagnosis and stuff, um, when you were finally given the diagnosis, what were your initial thoughts and feelings about that? Like when you sat there, do you remember what was going through your mind when you realized this is this is what's going on? Right. Well, like I said, it was it was funny when I when I call the when I called the doctor's office that weekend that I was so sick, then they called me back. And so I sort of got the diagnosis over the phone. In fact, um, because they said, well, we're going to send out home health care to do IV steroid treatment. And I, and I just remember I, I said, so is this MS? And the girl on the phone said, well, we're not supposed to diagnose you, you know, give a diagnosis over the phone, but yeah. And uh, so it was kind of my informal diagnosis. Um, and I guess at that time, I was just so relieved that somebody was going to do something to try to help <laughs> that, I, that I was... I guess maybe more relieved at that time than, than upset. Um, but I do remember then a few days later when I went, when I was able to see my neurologist, um, I appreciate how he, how he delivered the diagnosis because he, I remember he came into the room and he said, first of all, um, you don't have a fatal brain tumor. Um, um, and then secondly, I, you have multiple sclerosis. And uh, or, or I forget exactly how he worded it, but but basically I thought that was really a um, a good way to do that because he, um, you know he he kind of helped paint it in a more positive light. And to be honest, I had been so sick that I really did think I may be dying, <laughs> which I know sounds dramatic, but when you feel that bad, I really did think there must be something wrong, and and I'm going to possibly die and leave these kids, and um, so. So really, my first reaction was just relief. I just thought, yes, I'm not dying, <laughs> you know, which which helped to ease the the you know the 
the burden of the diagnosis, which, diagnosis, which was not good, obviously. Um, but, and I, I do remember thinking too, see, I wasn't crazy. I told all these people there was something wrong with me. <laughs> so a little right. bit of a feeling of, ah, okay. Um, all those people who dismissed me, I really was there. I told you. Um, but of course then, you know, then as those initial thoughts subsided, I did have the issue, like I said, of looking at the statistics online and just really then having to deal with the, the unknown and, and concern over what the future would hold. Right. So would you mind describing what like it MS is like for you on a daily basis? I know that the, the change, there's differences in all the, the, everyone's diagnoses and stuff like that. So what your day-to-day kind of looks like. Yeah. It's kind of, it's definitely changed over the years um, because, um, you know, early on um, I had to start, I had to do shots. I would give, I had to give myself shots three times a week. That was the initial treatment. And uh, it's so funny because I remember, this is terrible to even say probably, but I remember thinking, I have always had a te- terrible needle phobia. Oh, no. Um, I, I would like to attribute it to a nurse. I had to take allergy shots as a child, and my mom said that, I think she said that nurse got fired because she wasn't very good or kind or gentle. I don't remember. And I, I can't, it's just a really vague memory, kind of fuzzy. So I don't know. If, let's say maybe that, that mean nurse just gave me this needle phobia. But oh. I just remember thinking, Courtney, you are 30 years old and you are more upset about having to give yourself shots than you are about having MS <laughs> because it was really something I thought I cannot do this. Um, but I was able to do it just fine. I, and I always say, if I can get used to giving your, you know, to doing shots, then anybody can. Um, so, uh, you know, that was, that was kind of a minor thing, but, but generally the, in the early years, um, I did have more relapses in the early years. Um, and my baseline was just, was not normal in terms of my energy level. Like I remember one of my, um, home healthcare nurses that came out to do IV steroids. She said, um, you need to remember that you have a limited energy account. And so you need to make wise withdrawals or you're going to be overdrawn. Hmm. And I thought that was such a good analogy and that yeah. was so, so accurate for, for many of the early years of my MS that I could function normally, but I couldn't function normally long-term, um, I guess, or especially like, for example, if I, I mean, like we moved, we had to move, we, you know, we, we, we had normal life things going on that were challenging, but that I could make it through. But if I had like two really busy, busy, hard days, I would know that by the third day I might have to stay in bed and sleep for several hours or maybe even the whole day. Um, And then I would be okay again and I could, you know, but that would be the cycle. But thankfully in the past um, about 10 years or so, um, the new medication that I've been on has, and and also I think improving my diet has helped a lot, but um, all in all, I feel almost normal most days. Um, so I'm very thankful, uh, especially since I'm raising a little one again and homeschooling all over again. I, I have to have energy. <laughs> right. That's amazing. So when you were diagnosed, um, yes, Cassidy was eight, right? Right. So Jessica and I were six. Yes. Okay, so by the time that I met you at 13, right. how were how were you doing as far as, I remember there are times that, you know, mom was out for a little bit because she was run down with the relapse. And so, yeah, um, how, how often was it coming and going from, I guess, what was, how far out was that? Yeah, see, that would have been, let's see. So, seven yeah. or eight years out? Yeah, seven or eight years. Yeah, that was, it was. I wasn't on the new medication yet then. Mm. And so, cause I can remember your mom brought me a plant. I still, have, I still have it actually. It's alive. Yay. Uh, I know. <laughs> wow. It's a record for me. I'm telling you. Yeah. Um, uh, but um, yeah, cause I remember um, f- 
for some strange reason, it always seemed like in the fall I would have mm. a, a hard time. And I remember one time while we lived there, you know, near y'all at the Davis Ford house, um, I remember, um, I think I had six weeks. There was a six week period where I was pretty much on the couch for six weeks. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the worst times because I, and that, that's one of the hardest things I think about MS. And, and I would assume other people with chronic illnesses and especially with illnesses that could be terminal, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, you don't generally MS is not in that category, generally speaking, but that was the hard thing too, because whenever you, whenever you had a relapse, it was, it was a struggle because, you know, for example, if you have the flu, you feel terrible, but you Mm -hmm. know, you're going to get better. But, but with an illness like MS, when you feel terrible, you don't know, there's a part of you that thinks is this, this, it's just this, is this just going to be my new normal? Mm. And because I may not get better from this. Um, And so that, I think that was uh, the biggest struggle. Um, But again, thankfully the past several years, I haven't had any relapses. The only issues I really notice are if I get really tired, Mm-hmm. Um, then sometimes some of my symptoms will flare up just a little bit. And then it's sort of a, a, a red flag yeah. to say, okay, you better slow down. Or, and, yeah. and sometimes my energy level is not as great as I wish it were, but I don't know. I think all moms are pretty tired. Aren't y'all tired? Even though you're young? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. And I'm trying to sit here thinking like, I don't, I should, I don't have an excuse. You, <laughs> you were a mom. <laughs> you had four that you were homeschooling, like, and yeah. you were dealing with this. It, it was it was a crazy time, but you know it was so mm. sweet because we had several um, the con- the congregation where we were at the time. There were several ladies, multiple ladies that were just so sweet and so helpful, especially during that initial patch. Because it took me a while to just get back on my feet and mm. and be okay. Like I said, those relapses that hit back then would generally last a few weeks. And so, you know, that was tough, but I had, I had women who I had, I remember two ladies came in and did my laundry, brought food. One lady um, who taught school, so she couldn't really be there physically, but she paid to have somebody come in and clean my house. Um, It was just so thoughtful. Some of the women came in and taught the girls how to cook some basic things. So So yeah, to this day we joke because, um, I remember being on the couch. I physically was just so bad, but I, I was awake, so I could kind of talk to them. And they were back in the kitchen, and they put um, a little pan of uh, aluminum pan of rolls that, like, you would bake in the oven. They put it in the microwave, and of course, it started sparking. Anyway, but somehow they turned out fine, and there was no fire. Um, but <laughs> but it was just so sweet because the, they ta- they helped teach the girls how to help me. Um, because they knew this was something that wasn't going away and that we needed to make some adjustments to help make life easier. And so um, that was one of the blessings in adversity, you know, that I feel like the girls learned things that, you know, earlier than, than um, I might have taught them. And so, and it made them feel good to be able to help. Mm-hmm. Right. So we talked about scripture a little bit. Um. Are there any other passages of scripture that if someone one day is given the news, you've got this illness and it's chronic, it's not going to go away. Um, If they were to open their Bible, where could they go for comfort for that? Right. One of the biggest things I think... um, it's not a specific scripture per se, but just reading the account of Job and all that he suffered through, um, you know, I feel like no matter what the source of your suffering is, um, it's just so reassuring to look back and realize and to realize that, um, you know, Job had not done anything wrong. It wasn't his fault. It, it, uh, it, you know, that, and it, and it, and to realize, um, I remember too, to reference your father-in-law again, I remember reading a sermon by BJ um, where he talked about Job and talked about, you know, the very fact that with Job, um, you know, when God spoke to Job, he never explained 
what the whole situation was and what the 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 um, interaction between God and Satan had been and and how everything had played out. There was no explanation. The only thing he said was he asked him all those questions, you know, like, where were you when I did this and when I did that? And, and he, he, um, it all came down to, to God just showing his wisdom to Job and basically saying, even though you don't understand what's going on, just trust me, I've got this, <laughs> you know? And I yeah. think that that, that helps so much, you know, to just, to just realize I don't have to understand this. I don't have to know what's going to happen in the future. I don't have to know why this is happening to me. I just have to know I'm just trusting God and I'm going to keep obeying and and it'll all be okay. Yeah, that's good. So kind of going along with your girls learning, um, you know, how to help around the house and stuff like that. Um, if a loved one of ours is um, diagnosed with a chronic illness, how would we go about supporting them? We kind of talked about like how to support during the initial process of, you know, you're feeling bad and we're looking for answers, but um, what would be a good way for us to support um, our family members and something like that? I think like, you know, helping in any way you can, like, like the things I mentioned that the the ladies did for me. I I remember another thing they did too. They, um, they stocked my freezer with, with things like um, corn dogs and, and my, made sure I had uh, things in the pantry, like all kinds of cereal. And, th- and and I remember one of the ladies saying to me, it's okay for you to give those kids cereal for dinner sometimes. <laughs> you know? um, that's why they're fortified. That's right. You, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. Um, and I, I really did appreciate, appreciate, you know, the, the counsel that they gave because, um, you know, they just helped me understand, listen, don't, don't set your standards so high. I mean, realize that you're going to have to make some accommodations and, and it's going to be okay. Um, and so just all of those things were just so important. Um, and just being there to listen and all, and, and, and I, I guess too, at the same time though, not to treat you like an invalid or, or you don't want pe- people who have a chronic illness. Don't, they appreciate your concern and they appreciate you listening when they need to talk. But, I think they, they appreciate too, um, you know, that you don't make that the, the focus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember that's when my neurologist said initially, just wait, let's don't do a spinal tap, wait. And if it's MS, it'll come back, but just enjoy the time you feel good without a diagnosis. Because he said, you'll find that if, when you have a diagnosis, people are going to be like, Oh, here, you go sit down over here. Um, you, you just take it easy. We've got this. And, um, which is sweet of people. I'm not saying that that's a mean, that's obviously a considerate thing and sweet thing, but, but, you know, uh, just to let people do what they can do and, and, um, treat them as normally as possible. Right. I know it's easy for, um, uh, I guess like to, to put yourself like when when you're not the one that's ill it's easy to kind of like feel helpless and then and make it about you because it's like what do I do for my person that I love right I know when my dad got uh, was diagnosed with RA it was like what do I do yeah (laughs) what do I do for you right and so it's better to like take you out of the equation and just be a listening right um and ask the awkward questions like how how what can I do to help yes. you? Like don't brush me right, off. Right, right. What can I do right yeah, now? Yeah, right. That's good because sometimes I think I was a little bit that way too. Like the lady, some of the ladies kind of had to say, "Listen, we are going to help you. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Now you just tell us what we're going to do," um, which was good because I think a lot of people tend to kind of have that. Oh, I've got you know. You just want to be independent and you don't want to be a burden mm-hmm. on others. But you realize it is a blessing to others to let them help you. Mm-hmm. That's true. I heard someone say once, um, don't take away my blessing of right. being able to bless right. you. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, and going back to the don't treat them like an invalid, sometimes with those diagnoses that are um, the 
the autoimmune. I know my dad feels better uh, in the mornings when he washes the dishes. Now we shouldn't give him every dish to wash. Yes, but, yes. But we don't need to take the chores away from them right. completely because it does sometimes loosen him up. Yeah, so, there you go. I remember that was like a big thing for me. I was like, well, we can't give him everything to wash. <laughs> <laughs> what would he feel it up for? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But yeah, it's kind of a good balance, you know, and it's sometimes my family will remind me and say, you know, you need to slow down a little bit right now. You, you, you're mm-hmm. kind of, don't you think you might be overdoing it? And, you know, without being just too much that way, but, but, but also if, if I say I need to lie down, they're like, yeah, okay, go ahead, <laughs> you know, and understanding. Or, <laughs> yeah, that's good. It's, it's funny because like, I, I, I've always said that they need to come up with another word because you feel bad to say like. I couldn't go to services tonight because I was fatigued because fatigue, yeah. most people, when they say fatigue, they just mean, Oh, I'm tired. But when you have a, an illness, like a, a, an autoimmune disease that causes that unique kind of fatigue, it really needs to be called something else because it's the kind of fatigue. Like one lady I, I read described it. She said, MS fatigue is the kind of fatigue where you get out of your car to walk across the parking lot, to go into a store and you seriously consider lying down in the parking lot, face first, for a little while before you finish walking in. <laughs> you know? wow. And I thought, yes, that's it. So I, I think mm-hmm. that's important too, because you know, for example, if somebody with a with a chronic illness did have to say, I had to miss services because I'm fatigued, you know, some people might think, oh, that's just you know, you don't miss services just because you're tired. But it's it's mm-hmm. it's a it's more than just being tired. You need toothpicks to help. help yes, if you eye. can't, if you can't hold your head up very well. That's the problem. Yes, <laughs> right. right. Mm-hmm. So, if I'm someone who is, or if whoever's listening is someone who's in good health right now, their family's in good health right now, how would I like mentally prepare for the chance that maybe one day myself or a loved one is going to have a diagnosis of a chronic or maybe a terminal illness. Is there anything that I can do right now to kind of prepare for that sort of reality? Right. I think I think just like with any struggle in life that you face, just being the strongest Christian, being this, as strong as you can be spiritually is is you know going to help you. Um you know, just, and again, the, the closer the relationship you have with God, the more you, you understand. And like I said, reflect on just how wonderful God is and that God is goodness and God is love. All of that can help you so that you, you don't become bitter, um, you know, and wrongly, um, toward God, obviously. Um, and I think too, just, um, you know, just, just trying to be the kind of person that throughout your whole life, you, um, you take notice of the things that are good in your life, you know, and be optimistic. Um, I still have the sign, Caitlin, that you gave me years ago that says gratitude turns everything we have into enough. <laughs> and I, it's in my bathroom. I, still, I love that <laughs> sign. But, you know, I think like if you make that a habit regardless, then that, it, that will help you if you do have to deal with something um, like a, like a chronic illness, because, you just, you learn to, to see the bright side and to see, um, see things that are good. Sometimes I feel like, at least, you know, in my case, and I think it's a human tendency to, you know, you pray to God when things are hard, but then sometimes you forget to thank him for even the smaller things that, that have worked out so well in your life. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, I think if we can really try to become more the kind of people who, who are thankful, just grateful people, that that mindset will help you if you face something like that and, um, and just loving God and, and, um, and knowing that, you know, he's not the source of, of bad things. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, I guess, creating a habit of that mindset and creating, creating that now so that when something bad hits or something right. bad happens, that is already you. You're right. already a strong, faithful Christian who's going to not turn away, not lose their faith because of this obstacle. 
Right. And I think it's good. I, I mean, I feel like I, I appreciate my parents um, for a lot of things, of course, but one of the things I feel like is that, um, you know, we had some hard things happen in our lives growing up and, and my parents, you know, like everybody has hard things and, and challenges and heartbreaks of different sorts. But I feel like they always were optimistic mm-hmm. and they always, um, you know, had a sense of humor about things, you know, and I feel like um, as, you know, as an adult, I've, I'm grateful for that. And that's something I try, I try to um, instill in my kids is just a positive attitude because life is going to be hard. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no doubt about it. it. It hits everybody one way or the other, whether it's a chronic illness or, or something else. But if, if we can just work to try to, and, and I feel like Christians should be the most positive people because we have, we have, you know, heaven to look forward to. And so, um, and that's part of, you know, being a light to the world Mm -hmm. is that we, we have something to give us hope despite all the bad things that happen to us, just like they happen to everybody else. Right. Mm -hmm. So if I am the one diagnosed, um, with a chronic illness, how can I lean on God for help? Um, what prayers, um, do you think are good to pray? Um, and then how do I deal with the illness without losing my faith in God on the hard, hard days? Right. I think, um, you know, again, everything that we've talked about really, you know, helps too. I think um, one passage that does come to mind um, is James 4, 8, where, um, you know, if we, um, drawing near to God and he'll draw near to mm-hmm. you, you know, the, I always think about the, again, since I've been through um, sixth grade science six times now, or or will have, at least by the time I finish with Dean, um, you know, in science, they talk about the the magnets and how you can take something that is something that's not magnetic. And if you bring it close enough to a magnetic field and just keep it in contact and just um, keep it closely aligned with that, eventually the atomic particles in the non-magnetic object will switch and and line up to match the magnetic field so that this new, the second object is now also a magnet. Um, And, but if you, if you take that, that magnified uh, or uh, magnetized, (laughs) magnetized object away from the magnetic field, and then you, you literally just hit it really, really hard with a hammer just those sheer blows from the hammer can can cause the atoms inside the the object to shift mm. and to rearrange themselves so they're not properly aligned anymore and it, the 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 object will have lost its magnetism mm. but if the object stays close to the magnetic field and it never leaves mm. that can't happen and so i always feel like satan tries to use these kind of things mm-hmm. the you know it's as if they were literal blows, you know, like he wants to hit us so hard with something that feels so ungetoverable that, um, that it just shakes our internal structure and we can't, we don't feel like we can face life anymore. And we, and we pull away from God. So I feel like, uh, again, we just have to stay close to God and realize that, that he's the source of everything good mm-hmm. and he is love. That is a beautiful illustration for that. I know. It's one that's just helped me yeah. to think about <laughs> very much, very much. I like that. Miss um, Courtney, thank you so very much mm-hmm. for coming on here, sharing your journey through MS, um, sharing the difficult times, um, the, the hard parts of dealing with this, but also sharing with us how strong you are um, that's what I think. When mm-hmm. I think of Courtney Ruiz, I think strength. Mm-hmm. Because oh, you're sweet. Just, <laughs> I agree, I agree. Seriously, just... Oh, you're so sweet. Knowing how day-to-day, how difficult this type of thing is, but every time I see you, you have a smile on your face. Mm-hmm. You have that positive attitude. You're, you're, you didn't just say all these things because they sounded good. I know this is the way you live Mm -hmm. day to day. And I really, really appreciate you coming on here and sharing that with all of us. Thank you for 
helping me through the years. <laughs> <laughs> so as we finish this episode, um, Kayla and I want to spin the wheel with you. Um, we're going to spin the wheel, think of a category, and we're going to try to think of a Bible character that um, would fit this description. So it is most likely to. So basically, Christian character superlatives. <laughs> yeah, Christian character superlatives. <laughs> All right. Yeah, Bible character superlatives. Okay. Who is most likely to break something that's not theirs? Break something that is not theirs. <laughs> okay, I don't know. Two, two things come to mind. I don't. The first person that, for some reason, that popped into my mind is Peter, because I always think of him as being sort of, sort of an impetuous person, and so mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, people who do things kind of rashly sometimes mm-hmm. could accidentally break that something. Right. I know this from personal experience. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> um, but then, then a silly thing, I guess, maybe that comes to mind is Eutychus, who fell out of the window when he fell asleep. <laughs> yeah, he, um, I bet he broke his he, back. <laughs> he probably, yeah, he could have landed on other things. <laughs> and if he had tendency to nod off mm-hmm. and was a little sleep deprived, or I don't know, he could have broken things, I guess. Which one are you going to lock in? <laughs> I feel like you should do the obscure one. <laughs> you want me to go with Eutychus? I don't care. <laughs> I yeah. guess I'll go with Eutychus. Okay. That's a good one. Yeah. Kaylin, do you do you have one? Uh, see, does it have to be a person specifically? I I don't know. Do you have something that's not a person? I have the whole nation of Israel. <laughs> <laughs> They're breaking the walls of Jericho. They're breaking the commandments. They're breaking God's heart. <laughs> yes. Oh man, that's wow. so good. That is really good. And I don't think I can, I definitely know I cannot beat that. Who is most likely to break something? Well, I was actually thinking kind of along the lines, I guess, as you, but I was thinking Moses because he broke a rock when he was not supposed to. Yeah. Oh, oh, he did. He did yes. it. Yes. Break it. So, yeah. Yeah. Moses. That, yes, but both. Yeah. That's <laughs> Very good. I love Miss Courtney's. I love yours. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had a really good one, too. Oh, Paul. <laughs> That's true. And the children of Israel, it's like the entire Old Testament is just... Poor, poor God's are they gonna break hearts. Next? It's are they always gonna break breaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, ladies, for taking time out of your evening you, to spend you. it with us. Thank you to all of our listeners for joining in this episode. I hope that you will share it with those that you know who might need it. And um, be sure and join us next time. Yes. Thank you, guys. <laughs>